This week on the Crossroads Podcast, we will be taking a look at two biopics. The first movie, titled Ed Wood, about the man who wrote and directed the worst film of all time. And our second movie, Mank, about the man who wrote the best film of all time. Welcome to the Crossroads Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Rob. I'm your other host, Ryan. Um, let's start with Ed Wood, yeah. 1994's biopic directed by Tim Burton, starring Johnny Depp, Martin Landau, Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Bill Murray. Yeah. Um, so this is a film that, that came out in the mid-90s and was, you know, kind of much like uh, Citizen Kane, which we'll get into, and is kind of a driving force in the film, was sort of forgotten. No one really came, No one really went to go see it. It was very quietly released. Tim Burton was a big star director, but he wasn't the name that he is now. And Johnny Depp was not really as famous as he is at the moment. This was, um, what, Burton's third film? This was fourth? his fourth or fifth. He had done the Batman movies. He had oh, done yes. Beetlejuice. He had done Edward Scissorhands. And he had done... Uh, oh, I didn't realize Scissorhands was so early. Yeah, it was in like 91, 92. Uh, right before, right around Batman Returns. I'm not sure if it came out before or after. But at this but, point, he had Batman under his belt and was a, yeah. pretty much a household name. It's his only um, biopic, and I think his only non-fiction movie, right? Uh, he also did Big Eyes, which is a biopic Oh yes, Big written Eyes. by the same people who wrote Ed Wood as well. I don't think it's anywhere near as uh, well-renowned. Uh, yeah, but Big Eyes, was, to me, kind of just came and went. Yeah, this is, I mean, Ed Wood was, in, I mean, even in people, in the circles that I hung out with, the film circles in the 2000s, even people who hate Johnny Depp, who hate Tim Burton, love this movie. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's so different from Tim Burton's other work, especially at this point in time. It's uh, it's black and white for one thing. It's much less manic. It's more subdued. The performances are more natural, and it's less odd. Yes, like between Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, and even parts of Batman, mm-hmm. all those movies are just very odd and out of touch with reality. And yes. then comes Ed Wood. Yes, which is about a very strange individual, a bunch of very strange individuals, really. And is otherwise very grounded. It's not particularly accurate to history. It's all the good qualities of everyone are pushed up and the bad qualities are largely ignored, which is fine because that's the kind of movie it is. It's very optimistic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's told through the point of view of Ed Wood, who saw the best in everyone. He did. And that comes across so much in Johnny Depp's performance. He's so optimistic he's so friendly he's so happy he only gets pushed to the brink maybe twice and he just kind of goes off and deals with it and comes back and he's happy again mm-hmm. he sorts through his problems very quick because he knows yeah. what he wants to do and how he wants to get it done yes <laughs> one of my uh, one of my favorite moments is a few minutes into the film when he's walking through the back lot it's just he's a runner on some movie or another and one guy from a film catalog studio calls him in and he goes into his office and he's uh, looking at a bunch of stock footage. I can make a full movie out of just this mm-hmm. stock footage. He's like, I need more shots of the war. I need I need this. And the, the projectionist is like, don't forget the giant octopus. 
And Ed Wood says, I'm saving that for the finale. And that's great because yeah. it all comes back around at the end. It's it's a perfect circle. Yes. It's, yeah. It, this movie could, it runs the risk of being very inside baseball. Like, it may not appeal as much to people who aren't super into old film. Mm-hmm. But I think it's funny enough and it's just goofy enough that it doesn't really get in the way. I agree with that. I definitely think this movie's made for fans of like old 50s B movies because that's the subject matter of the whole movie. And for those of you who don't know, Ed Wood was a a B movie director in the 50s and he made one of the worst movies of all time, Plan 9 from Outer Space. And nowadays it's considered a cult classic just because it's so ridiculous. And it's just about one man's dream project and how he got it made. Yeah, it's uh, it really shows the uh, it kind of shows. I mean, in some ways, it kind of shows like what it takes to get your film made. Like he's just going to get funding from anywhere where it's available. I mean, up to and including getting funding from a church to get uh, Plan Nine made, and it's. Uh, Ed Wood's movies are not good. <laughs> they are poorly written. The The directing is bad. The acting is very wooden. There's a the ton sets of continuity fake. errors. Um, he did everything in one take. He didn't like doing retakes because, quote, that's realism. Yes. And, you know, if you go back and watch Bride of the Monster or Plan 9, like, you're they're... They're funny to watch, but they're by no means good movies. No. <laughs> and even like even if they were not ineptly directed, just the dialogue is awful most of the time. Oh, yeah. But there's such a passion for what he was doing that it kind of comes across and it can be funny. I mean, he had people... He had some famous people that hung around him and he... I mean, he built up an entourage. Like, he was a an affable guy, if nothing else. Yeah, he's got his, his little fan base like i said earlier it's definitely a cult movie or cult oh, filmmaker yeah. and yeah. if you know who he is you know who he is yes and one thing i love about the film is it really shows that relationship between himself and bella lugosi their relationship in this movie is so well written and yeah. so on point i guess is it the term i'm looking for it's just it's very genuine that's yes. what i'm trying to say and between um Johnny Depp and Martin Landau, I believe. Yes. They, their on-screen chemistry is awesome. They feel like they've been friends for years. Yeah. It's it's very believable that they're, they've are they been friends for a long time. Apparently, working with Landau really reinvigorated Johnny Depp to acting. He had kind of gotten burned out on it a bit. But, I mean, his... I mean, uh, Bella Lugosi... Or, sorry, uh, Martin Landau, who's playing Bella Lugosi, he won an Oscar for the role. He's fantastic in the part. Best supporting, correct? Best supporting, yes. I mean, he's in many ways one of the best things about the film. He's so charismatic. He's struggling with a drug problem at this point in time, and he's a little confused because he's old and he doesn't really quite know what's going on because of the language barrier. And it's some of the best scenes in the movie are him just kind of fluttering about, <laughs> kind of confused. But he always shines so- when somebody brings up Kristoff. Um, Yes. Uh, Not Kristoff. Um, Karloff. Karloff, yes. Boris Karloff. Um, yes. 
You yes. know, Bella played Dracula back in the 30s, and Boris Karloff played Frankenstein. So throughout the movie, people always um, talk about Boris Karloff, and that hits Bella Lugosi in the right, the, the funny bone, I guess. Yeah, and the one of the things about about the movie that I've always liked is that he's, Bella Lugosi is kind of losing connection to reality. Like, he, he's often in his Dracula costume. He occasionally goes into Dracula moments. Even when he's upset, it kind of happens. And apparently that was a thing that was starting to happen to him towards the end of his life. Like, he was just kind of... Uh, just regressing kind of into yeah. happier times for him? Yeah. Yes, I mean he he was struggling to keep employment. Uh, his wife had left him. He did get remarried, which isn't in the film, but uh, he was dealing with a drug problem. the The movie does not look like many of Tim Burton's normal films with the dark shadows, with the very German lighting, except when Bella's at his lowest point. Yes. It looks very Burton-y at that moment. That's where the shadows really contrast with the light and everything's yeah. just... All the blacks on screen are just really crushed and really yeah, um, deep and contrasting. Yes, it's... Uh, it's a, It really stands out and it really makes you feel claustrophobic and it's it's fantastic uh, use of... Even though it's a black and white film, fantastic use of light and color. The movie's really tongue-in-cheek, too, because specifically at the scene when they're trying to figure out what dress uh, the actress should wear. I can't think of her name off the top of my head. Yeah. And the director of photography is like, oh, I'm colorblind. They all look gray to me. And <laughs> yeah. it's, it's such a low-hanging fruit of a joke, but it kind of yeah. comes out of nowhere. Yes. And um, what do you think of the sets and the camera angles and lighting and everything I'm for this? It looks a lot like a uh, like an Ed Wood film. Like it's not quite as bad as that. Although when they're recreating the scenes, it actually makes them look worse than they do in the real movies. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really creative. Tim Burton's always had a good eye for that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and I think he's the right person for this, even though it's not very Burtony in traditional sense. It 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 doesn't feel like a Burton movie, like we said, but you know, he has a true love for the subject matter. Yes. And I can't think of any other director from the early nineties who could have pulled this off. Me neither. And it's funny. It's a very, very funny movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, funny. It's heartfelt. And it's just a fun watch. Like, yes, if, if you're into cult films, you clearly like kind of bad movies and yeah. you, you know what you're getting into with a movie titled Ed Wood. So yes. it's just fun watching these people make a bad movie. Yes. And one thing we should also discuss is uh, Bill Murray's in this. Not for very long. He doesn't have a ton of screen time. but He's he excellent. Owns, yeah. He owns the role as only Bill Murray could. He, he's, I get the feeling he improvised a lot of his dialogue. He probably was given like a, just, like a vague idea of what the scene was. And then he just kind of went into it. Uh, he plays a, a famously gay man. Bunny Breckenridge, who in the cult scenes mm-hmm. was, you know, like well known, but he, uh, he, like, he walks into the character. I mean, obviously it's Bill Murray. Bill Murray's very distinctive looking, but he kind of disappears into the role a little bit. Yeah. You know? he, he, and he's in heavy makeup too. You mm-hmm. almost don't recognize him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like, you know, prosthetics, but it's very like caked on mm-hmm. white makeup. And he, he kind of has a bit of like a drag queen feel to him. Uh, and there's a reason for that that they explain yeah. throughout the movie <laughs> yes 
And it's the only time that Burton and uh, um, Bill Murray ever worked together. And I think that's kind of a shame because yeah, he's Bill Murray, I think, could really elevate some of Burton's mm-hmm. mid films. Like yes. instead of just always going with Johnny Depp and the same cast over and over. I think if he yeah. changed it up with Bill Murray, especially after his performance in Ed Wood, yeah, I, I think his movies would have been a little less stale after a while. Yes, he kept using the same few actors for several movies in a row. And even though I think uh, Sweeney Todd is fantastic, a bunch of those movies are just snoozers. Yeah, like I'm, I used to be a huge Tim Burton fan, and then I think he sold his soul to the mouse. He did. Uh, one more thing I'd like to uh, bring up because it's kind of a bridge between these two films is that uh, even though they never met in real life, there's a short scene with Orson Welles in this movie. Oh, yes. Played by and, Vincent DiFrono. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. And uh, Maurice LaMarche dubs him over. Uh, who's He's well known in the voice acting world, mm-hmm. especially for his Orson Welles impression. So it makes sense. It's a little distracting because the the voice doesn't quite match what's on the screen. So I kind of like that though. Cause every time you hear about Orson Welles in these older movies, he's always brought on as like this big kind of demanding presence. And we'll talk more about that for Mank, but yeah. I think that deep, clear voice with Vincent D'Onofrio's like body really sets him apart from everybody else. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, I think it was the right way to go as far as getting a person who visually looks like Orson Welles and then just getting the best impression that you can possibly get. Yeah. It, it's, it sets the time. Yes. Oh, absolutely. The, the setting. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one of the scenes when Ed is uh, dressed in his, you know, his very silly getup that yes. he gets into. I'm not going to give too much away because the movie people definitely should watch. It's very, very yes. fun. I highly recommend it. Yes. Uh, any other thoughts? Uh, no, I figure after we talk about Mank, we can kind of give thoughts on both of them. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to get into Mank? Yeah. Mank is a new release, just hit Netflix this past Friday. It is directed by David Fincher, written by his late father, Jack Fincher. And it's about the story of Herman Mankiewicz, who was the the main writer, uh, the credited co-writer for Citizen Kane, one of the best films ever made. And... Much like Ed Wood, Orson Welles is not on screen a ton, but he's like a, a presence throughout the film. Yeah, he probably shows up four to five times in in this two-hour, 15-minute movie. But, you know, he commands the scene. Mm-hmm. And he's just a looming figure throughout the whole, the whole script. Yeah. He's... This is a very interesting film to try to discuss because it looks gorgeous. The movie is shot in beautiful black and white. Apparently it was shot in 8K and then uh, there were effects done to it to make it look more like film. Uh, Fincher knows how to shoot a film and really make it feel like, feel distinct from other movies. Yes. If if If, you go back and look at Fincher's filmography... mm -hmm. All his movies tend to stand out from everything else that year. Oh, yeah. It feels like a movie from the 40s in a lot of ways. The The sound is compressed to mono. There are... There's the sound, rain. The sound was a thing I noticed right mm-hmm. off the bat. 
between the opening titles and the dialogue, I I yeah. felt like I was watching a movie from the forties. From yeah. the 50s. oh, absolutely, yeah. It's it's gorgeous. The sound design is incredible. The score is really good. It's this jazzy light score. I'm amazed that someone like Trent Reznor wrote it or co-wrote it with Atticus Ross because yeah, it sounds nothing like their previous work. No, not at all. Because, I mean, even if you ignore uh, Nine Inch Nails, you think of Trent Reznor as very heavy, dark, you know, upsetting type stuff. And this is very light. If you look at their film stuff, too, between Social Network and Girl of Dragon Tattoo and Waves, Trent Reznor and Anakis Ross are very atmospheric. And this very much is not atmospheric. It feels exactly like a score from these mid-30s, mid-40s Hollywood movies. Yeah, they're very bombastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, very jazzy. Very like it's always moving. Mm-hmm. The um, the acting is incredible across the board, especially Gary Oldman. I mean, he's turning in some of his best work of his career in this. I would be very shocked if he was not nominated for best actor this year. Yeah. Oh, I I mean, I have a hard time believing he's not going to be. It, he, this is the kind of movie that always gets nominations, even though it wasn't released. You know, in well, it had a limited release, I'd imagine, but yeah, but it's such a, yeah, it's the we're kind of dancing around the issue here <laughs> is that the movie looks and sounds amazing. All the parts are there, except there really isn't a story. Yeah, the halfway through the film, I kind of started looking at the movie less as David Fincher's new movie, and I was super excited about it, and more as. This movie's kind of boring. It is. Like, and nothing... That's a shame. Nothing really, truly happens in it. And it just overstays its welcome and tries to draw these weird parallels with modern politics. But it's weird because the script was written in the 90s. Yeah. And it, it it's not focused. Yes, it's... It's interesting because, I mean, David Fincher had been working as a music video director since the 80s. And, you know, he burst onto the scene. Well, burst is not quite the right word. He flopped onto the scene with Alien 3. And then everything I like else Alien 3, though. The, <laughs> well, the director's cut. Yeah. Yes. The director's cut is significantly better. But it, it was not his fault. I mean, he was put into a very, very difficult situation. Yeah. Um, Fox definitely got the better of him. Yes, but uh, everything he's made after that, I mean, yeah, I don't think he's made a bad film since. Every single, I mean, even though I don't particularly care for, uh, what was it, on Gone Girl, which was mm-hmm. six years ago at this point. I didn't much care for that, but everything else he's done has been incredible. I think the movie of his I like the least is Panic Room. I can understand and that. even still, it's a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. But when I think Fincher, I think, I think, Gone Girl, Dragon mm-hmm. Tattoo, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, Fight Club, Seven. Fight Club. The game yeah. is one of those movies that is forever in my head. Yeah, and it just sneaks into your brain, just mm-hmm. like how. Yeah, but then there's Mank, which yeah feels nothing like his previous work. It's less dark. It's mm-hmm. less gritty he's known for that kind of gritty feel yeah and the closest thing i think would be benjamin button yeah just in terms of tone i mean yeah. it's so much They're both lighter dramas. 
Yeah, I mean, some of his films, especially Fight Club and uh, Gone Girl, feel a little grimy. Like you mm-hmm. kind of have to. Well, you can Fight Club, especially. Them. Yeah, the half the movie takes place in dingy bar basements. Yeah, you can, we're like, yeah, you, you almost feel like you're slightly damp, just kind of hanging around there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this movie is. I'd recommend it because it's available. It's for free on Netflix if you have a Netflix subscription. But it kind of snuck up on me how much I didn't really care about it. Yeah. Like, once I started checking out towards the midpoint, I realized this is not my favorite Fincher movie. Yeah. And I was really bummed because I was looking forward to this for Mm -hmm. almost the whole year. And, like, it's about Citizen Kane, which is highly regarded as Mm -hmm. one of the greatest films of all time if not the most influential film of all time yeah and a lot of that is because orson wells was what 23 when he made it he was very young he i mean he had been a a child prodigy when it comes to radio and stage i think he had already done his uh war of the worlds by this point but yeah the studio gave him full control over it from Mm -hmm. writing producing picking who he wants to work with actors all that and like Mank just focuses on the writer and the writer's personal issues. Yes. And I like that a lot, but it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. It it skips over the entire production of Citizen Kane. It, yeah. And that's what I wanted to see, the, the yeah. making of Citizen Kane. That wouldn't necessarily involve Herman Mankiewicz as much. Mm-hmm. It's still important and still really interesting things. And Fincher movies are typically three hours, so having this be just over two hours, yeah. two two ten, I think it is. I feel like they could have added a lot more because Fincher knows how to really pace a film. Yes, and I I feel like there was a lot missing. Yes, there's some really cool transitions, more in the first act or the first part than the second part that even have like the kind of stage writing you would see in a script, Mm -hmm. which is a little inside baseball, but it's still, I think, very cool. Yeah. There's some incredible shots. I mean, it it feels real. Just that due to circumstances, you spend like 40 of the 120 minutes in one small cramped room with him bedridden. And it's... Yeah, I was going to ask yeah. you about that. What do you think of the pacing and editing in regards to him being bedridden? I think they did the best of what they could with what they had. And telling it non-chronologically helps break up a lot of that. If it mm-hmm. was just been 40 minutes of him just stuck in a bed with a broken leg, it would really just be yeah. death to the pacing completely. I kind of found the jumping around kind of took me out of it. It was a little confusing it kept saying like flashback and everything and i don't really know where i'm going with this but (laughs) it just like it kind of took me out of it overall yeah it's it's very close to being a classic film and Mm -hmm. it just it misses on one really important detail there's not really it doesn't really go anywhere i think it tried too hard to be oscar bait i think you're right I hope Fincher gets nom- nominated for Best Director. Just I'm kind of biased towards him. Yeah. But it's not his best work, but I would love to just see him be nominated. Yeah, he's been nominated a couple times. I don't think he'd win for this, although it's Did hard to tell. Did he win? This. Did he win? For- I think we're kind of 
decided which one we prefer. Yeah, I think both movies set out to do a very similar thing. Tell yeah. the story of a passion project being made. Yes. And I think Ed Wood is a lot more fun than Mank. It feels shorter than Mank. And if I had to pick one to watch or recommend, it would be Ed Wood for both. Yeah. I think just that Ed Wood has a sense of humor about it. It's not particularly accurate. Like it, it doesn't, it cuts corners. It only shows the good side of people, but it's fun. Even See, when it's I, just, I think Mank kind of does the opposite where it shows a lot of the negative sides of people. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where it fails too. Yeah. It, it could be great. I mean, there's some really funny moments Gary Oldman is clearly having a blast, especially mm-hmm. in that party scene towards the end. Mm-hmm. But I think my main issue with Mank is that it's very unfocused. Yes, I, I think part of that is because it's based on a script that hasn't been touched in like twenty years, and it was written by the director's deceased father and he probably wouldn't want to you know really mess with it too much but and i think it's the only thing jack fincher's ever written uh that was produced um yes. he had written some other similar scripts they just never really went anywhere okay uh it's kind of i mean that's a thing that happens with writers that you can write a dozen movies and one gets made you look like you haven't really done anything but you've mm-hmm. produced a ton of scripts yeah i'm looking yeah. at his imdb page right now and it's just mank yeah and Maybe that's part of it. It's, I mean, I'm not going to say that the writing is bad. It's not. It's, um, the plot is unfocused, but the, the dialogue is crisp. The, the actual storytelling when there is a story is fine. Mm-hmm. There's some cool stuff, but it doesn't do anything or go anywhere. Agreed. I think you could, you could do a lot worse than Mank. It's not an abysmal film at all. It's by no means a bad movie. It's just very unclear and kind of gets boring towards the middle. But it's very competently made. Yes. And having someone like David Fincher at the helm really gets that across. I mean, even his bad movies are still great. Mm -hmm. And his bad movies usually aren't his fault. I think if they got a different director, it may have been better. They could have punched up the script a little Mm -hmm. because... David Fincher yeah. clearly has an affinity for the script because mm-hmm. it was written by his father. Yes. Uh, that being said, I would recommend Ed Wood over Mank 100%. Um, agreed. In yeah. agreement with you. Yeah, it's great, great fun. It's very, uh, it's very silly, it, but not like in a, not in a way that is dismissible. It's just it's a nice romp. Yes. That's all I've got to say. That's all I got. Do you want to talk about next week? Uh, yeah. So next yeah. week we're going to kind of get into the Christmas spirit with the newish Netflix film Jingle Jangle. And we're going to compare that with, I think it's Scottish. Yes. Anna and the Apocalypse, the yes. zombie Christmas musical. Yes. Uh, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to recommend listeners watch that movie before we get to it because that movie defies description. I'm excited to watch it. It's been on my list for a couple months now. I think since yeah. March I've been meaning yeah. to watch it. It's uh, Yeah, we'll, we'll have some fun with that yeah. one next week. 
but uh, recommend people check that out. Uh, you know, also check out Jingle Jangle if you're in the mood for a nice feel-good film before we come back and talk about that next week. But uh, this is Ryan. And I'm Rob. And we'll see you in the crossroads.